All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Who are the crafters in the house? Anybody? Nobody wants to admit it. Danny, right here in the front. Shop once. What was it? Shop once, give twice. I like that. All right, get your Bibles out. Daniel chapter 1 is where we are. We started a series here a couple weeks ago that we're calling Living in Exile. And what we're doing is we're going through the book of Daniel. If you've never gone through the book of Daniel, we're going to be doing that here together. It's in the Old Testament part of your Bible. It's a little bit after the book of Psalms. So if you go in the Old Testament, you find Psalms, keep going a couple more books after that. Daniel chapter 1 is where we're starting again here this morning. You can also follow along on the screen. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Aspenons, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, let me again give you kind of the backstory of what was going on here in the situation, because in 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, he invaded Israel and besieged Jerusalem. And Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, in order to try to save the city of Jerusalem, he quickly changed allegiances to Nebuchadnezzar. And part of that agreement meant that he had to give tribute out of the treasury of Jerusalem to Nebuchadnezzar. And not only that, but he had to hand over some of the royal family and the nobility and send them off to Babylon. So included in those hostages was Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, and they were shipped off to Babylon. Now, Babylon was a really evil nation. It was known for its paganism, It was known for its pride and idolatry. It was known for its opulent wealth and materialism. It was known for its sexual immorality. It was known for its brutal kings and its its history of violence. And so this was the land to which Daniel was exiled. And for three years, he was put into this intense brainwashing program for the purpose of wiping away all of his history. The purpose of taking away their family heritage and all sense of culture and and past and even all sense of their own spiritual beliefs. Lee Beach, I've been reading this last couple of weeks, he has a book called The Church in Exile, and he describes being exiled this way. He said, exile is the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. The sense of exile is experienced by anyone who feels alienated, cast adrift, or marginalized by their inability or unwillingness to conform to the tyranny of majority opinion. Simply put, Edward Said writes that exile is the perilous territory of not belonging. And so the last last two weeks, we've been talking about how even though you and I, we haven't been shipped off to some foreign hostile country, but the reality is the country in which we now live in has radically changed. 
And if you've missed any of the past messages, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to the last two messages. Because in the last 25 to 50 years, there's been a huge shift in the belief system here in the United States. We no longer live in a Christian culture. This Christian culture that once existed has now changed to what sociologists call a post-Christian society. That's the culture that we now live in. And so today, if you're a Christian, for the first time in American history, you are in the minority. For the first time. Always before, Christians represented the majority of this nation. But for the very first time in American history, you're now in the minority. And all you have to do is just take a little bit of a look on social media, and you'll discover that not only is your opinion in the minority, but the reality is your opinion has become very dangerous in, in how society views you and society's progression and even its well-being. I think so much has changed so fast. And this has now become our new normal. And I think the temptation for so many Christians is to either respond out of hostility or anger and lose it in regards to what you say and even what you post on social media or, or otherwise, you know, to just kind of throw up our hands in the air and, and just feel hopeless. A sense of hopelessness and dread even tends to come and, and cloud our hearts. And we just kind of almost want to just separate ourselves and, and, and dig our heads in the sand, just surround, us with, surround ourselves with people that are just like us and maybe even start some sort of commune or something like that. Or the other aspect of this is I think so many of us, we just tend to get absorbed. We get absorbed in this fast-changing culture that's just changing seemingly overnight, and we end up just going with the flow. We end up just blending in. But one of the things I find so interesting about this book of Daniel is that it shows us how to live as a creative minority while being in exile in a dominant culture. And so the question I want you to consider here this morning is this. Is it possible not just to avoid losing your convictions in this fast-changing culture. That's what we talked about last week. But is it actually possible instead to literally and, and, and intentionally influence this culture? Is it possible, even being a minority, even being kind of what that book describes, kind of feeling like you're exiled, that this dominant culture is, is just in, invading what you think life should be like, is it still possible for us to actually have an, an influence into this culture? I want you to look at how Daniel did this. We're in chapter 2 here this morning. Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, In the second year of reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he answered them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers asked the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants a dream, and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. All of you who think your employer is difficult, how would you like to work for this guy? <laughs> but if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Woohoo! <laughs> After that sort of threat. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. 
Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing for any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Now, I, want you to look, I just want to make a side comment here, because this is the culture that Daniel and his friends had been exiled to, this belief that God is not present. I want to remind you that as Christians, we believe God is with us, that he is Emmanuel, that he is with us, that he sent Jesus as the visible representation of the invisible God. And Jesus came, and in his ministry, he, he um, did healings and miracles and, and kingdom expansion during his time. And, and then with, because of his death and then his resurrection, he released the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to be with us and in us. We believe God is with us. We believe he is here, that he speaks to us, that he has a plan and purpose for our lives. This culture did not believe it. Verse, verse 12. It says, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. The men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, I want you to notice this because Daniel had friends who he could go to and ask for them to cry out to God with them in this moment of crisis. Let me ask you a question. Do you have friends in your life that will stand with you and dig within with you and, and pray with you when you have those points of crisis? Because here's the thing. Every one of us are going to have crises in our life. And so the question becomes, do you have people who are going to rally behind you and stand with you and pray with you? This is what Daniel had. Verse 19. During the night, the, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. Ding, 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 ding. Looking towards election day here on Tuesday. Let me remind you this. He changes the times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So no matter what happens on Tuesday, he still reigns. He is still greater than any president has been or will be for this nation. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. 
Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king. I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Then the king asked Daniel, also called Bel to Ashtar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret? Now I want you to notice how Daniel responds to this. It's really interesting. I love his response. Verse 27, Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. This is exactly what the other wise men had already told Nebuchadnezzar, but notice how he shifts it from just commonality. Verse 28, but... There is a good God in heaven who reveals mystery. That's a big but, isn't it? All right? The diviners and the enchanters of the culture didn't have that as another option here. But Daniel knew there was something greater than what that culture provided. He has shown the king Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your master was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of the mystery showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through his mind. And then Daniel goes ahead and gives the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had, and then gives the interpretation. Drop down to verse 46. And Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king had placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal courts. You see what happened here? Even in this hostile culture, where Daniel and his friends found themselves in severe minority as a result of this situation and, and Daniel's boldness really in here, they are promoted to places of greater influence. And it's all because instead of Daniel just throwing up his, air, his arms in the air and saying it's hopeless, instead of that, Daniel sees this, this, uh, this as an opportunity to influence by displaying the power of God. And so I want you to think about this because this teenager... In his position, you heard me right, this is a teenager. This teenager in this position of exile, in, the, in this hostile and foreign land, he influ influences an entire empire. He influences an entire empire that's just taken him hostage. And so how does he do that? Well, number one, I'm going to go through this here. Number one, Daniel won the battle for his identity. Daniel won the battle for his identity. You know, the way that Babylon conquered nations and these people groups is really absolutely brilliant. Because what they would do is they would take these leaders from these conquered cultures and train them then in the Babylonian thought and ways by changing their narrative. And it wasn't always huge changes. It wasn't huge changes to their narrative, but a little change here and a little change there. Take the creation story. For Daniel... As a young Jewish boy, he would have learned and memorized the creation story from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moved on the ground. And so Daniel would have been raised with us. He would have memorized the entire book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. He would have memorized what's called the Torah. He would have known this. This would have been his spiritual heritage. He would have known that God created all mankind. That God was the creator. And not only that, that God give, gives, man, gives men and women a commission to rule and to reign over God's creation. And that with every man and every, perp- and every woman, God puts inside of them a purpose. There's a purpose for your existence. You're not a mistake. You just don't exist. But there's actually a purpose and a destiny, a call on your life. This is how Daniel would have grown up. This is what he would have known to be true. But when he was taken hostage and sent to Babylon, and then entered into their three-year brainwashing program, he would have learned and would have been forced to memorize the Babylonian creation story, what is called the Eluma Elish. And this is the Babylonian creation story. In the sixth tablet of the Eluma Elish, it says this. It says, when Marduk, who's the master god, heard the word of the gods, his heart prompted him, and he devised a cunning plan. He opened his mouth, and unto Ea he spake, that which he had conceived in his heart, and he had imparted unto him. My blood will I take, and bone will I fashion. I will make man that man may. I will create man who, will inhabit, who shall inhabit the earth, that the service of the gods may be established, and that their shrines may be built. Together, humans shall they be oppressed, and unto evil shall they live." And so in the Babylonian culture, Marduk, who is this master god, he created human beings to be this easily manipulated slave laborer for the gods to then rule over and to meet the needs of the gods. Then later on this, in this creation story, in order to make sure that the gods didn't have to pollute their hands with these 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 slaves, these less than people that were created, Marduk creates a whole nother grouping of people that are called the elites, the high priests, the kings and queens. They are to be the image bearers of the God. And so in the Babylonian creation story, there are the elite, and then those are, there are the lower servants who are there. Their whole purpose is to serve the elite and their gods. And so Daniel would have had to learn this as the creation story as part of his reprogram. He would have had to memorize all these tablets. And the whole purpose of this was to change the narrative of Daniel's life. Now I want you to think about this because this is really important. Listen to this. The narrative that you believe about who you are and where you come from will shape who you are and where you're going and how you're going to treat other people. Did you hear me? That narrative that you have about who you are and where you came from will shape who you are and where you're going and how you're going to treat other people. And we saw this last week in chapter 1, that in spite of these three years of brainwashing, in spite of this, this cultural pressure that surrounded him, Daniel didn't compromise. He didn't give in to the cultural pressures, which means Daniel continued to believe the promises of God instead of what was being forced down his throat by that current cultural narrative. In other words, Daniel won this battle for his identity. He won this battle. Even though culture was trying to change the narrative for him and change his program, he won that battle for his identity and he, by believing what God said rather than by the current cultural narrative. So let me ask you a question. Who are you? 
Who are you? Because you need to know who you are, because if you want to influence people and places in which you work and you live, your identity matters more than anything else. Who you are and where you come from and how you view yourself makes all the difference in the world whether or not you're going to be able to influence. I mean, think about this from these Daniel and and his three friends, because how could these, these teenage boys say no to all the things that every teenage boy wants? I mean, think about it. They were thrust in a foreign country all by themselves as teenagers. And now all of a sudden, they were allowed to do all sorts of things. They could have sex with as many women as they want to whenever they want. They could have, they could have whatever foods and drinks that their hearts desired. And they were promised power beyond their wildest dreams. How in the world could any teenage boy say no to the things that every teenage boy in the world wants? Well, the reason is, is because they had something better than what Babylon had to offer. They, they lived in a better reality than this new culture's reality that was trying to be pressed on them. They had something that was better. And I think this is really important for us to understand because every one of us, we have these voices that consume our heads that are pressuring us to believe a certain way. And these voices are, are saying stuff like, influence? You be an influencer? You got to be joking. There's no way that you can be an influencer like Daniel. There's no way that you can impact your work situation. There's no way that you can impact your family or, or your neighborhood. I mean, just look at your life. There's no difference in your life than anybody else's life. You said you weren't going to do this thing anymore, but you look at your past week. You did the very same thing that you said you weren't going to do. Influence? You're no different than this culture. You just need to survive here. We all have these voices that are trying to give us a version of who we are. But I want you to listen to this, because what you think about yourself only becomes your reality if you believe that voice is true. You missed it, didn't you? What you think about yourself only becomes a reality if you believe that voice is true. Which means if you disagree with that voice, it doesn't become your reality. And there are all sorts of realities that are trying to to be impressed on you, and that become your your narrative. Jesus said in John 8, verse 32, he says, Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That word truth in the original Greek language is the word aliatha, which means truth as it pertains to reality. Now watch this. It means truth as it pertains to reality, which means this verse can be translated this way. You will know reality, and that reality will set you free. Follow me here, because what you embrace to be true will define and mold who you are, which means whatever reality you're going to agree with, that's the reality you're going to live in. And so this morning, if you're sitting here thinking, well, you know, my life's a mess. I'm, I don't feel free. I'm, I'm in a prison. I have all these chains on me. My life stinks. It's a mess. I'm constantly giving into these thoughts or these emotions or these, these hormones. That, that's, my, that's my life. That's just who I am. If that's what's going through your head right now, you've agreed with the wrong reality. You believed a lie. And that's what culture does. Culture is always kind of to exert these different voices in our life to try to get you to vie for their allegiance and vie for you to embrace them. Because if you don't embrace them, it doesn't become your reality. 
But what culture does is that's trying to get you to be allegiant to whatever it is that they're, they're projecting onto you. And so we all have these different voices, the voice of your parents, the voice of your teachers, the voice of your co- coaches, the voice of media, the voice of Hollywood, you have the voice of government. Oh yeah, there's the voice of Satan as well. And all these voices, they're trying to tell you a version about your reality of what they want you to become. And that's the pressure that consumes us. And as a result, most of us, then we become the sum total of all what we think other people think we are. We become the sum total of all these different voices that are pressing in on us. And our reality then becomes our perception of other people's thoughts and actions toward us which means this, we end up then being held in prison from those different voices, and, we, and then we live and we make decisions out of that reality. But let me suggest to you, folks, there's a different reality. Just because your thoughts say one thing doesn't mean that that's what God says. Just because your emotions are pressing in on you, that doesn't mean that that's God's reality. Just because your hormones are raging in different ways doesn't mean that that's God's reality for you. See, we have to, we have to learn, we have to, we have to know what this is about because if we don't, the Bible describes for us that this is what is called the fear of man. We start living under the stronghold of the fear of man. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 24. It says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. You see what Saul did? He feared people and he listened to their voices more than he listened to the voice of God. And as a result, that's the reality he embraced. And he ends up losing his role as king in the nation of Israel. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says, the fear of man brings a snare. Another version says, the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. I believe what God's wanting us to do, and I think this only happens as your eyes open to what's happening around you, and you begin to realize that you are in the cultural minority, and your eyes begin to see that your life has to be different than everybody else. If you don't see that, if if that is not clear, if you still think the whole world is going in the direction that you want to go, then this isn't going to happen for you because you'll just, you'll just go with the flow of all of these different voices. But what I believe God's trying to do with this, I think he's trying to move us from the position of living in the fear of man to the position of valuing the presence of God. I think that's the shift that God's trying to do with his church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I believe that's what he's trying to do with you and with me because you can't live in the fear of man and in the presence of God both. You can't do them both because you've got to pick because they're two different realities. There are two different realities, and you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to pick. I think God wants us to know what he thinks of us. We need to know what he thinks of us because as Christians, it's his reality that we need to live in, not what the culture wants to try to define or force onto. Daniel understood God's reality for himself. Daniel, as as a young teenager, he got it. That even though he was, he was exported to this hostile foreign country, he, got, he understood God's reality for himself, that he was still supposed to rule, he was still supposed to have influence, that he wasn't just some low scum of the earth like he was taught, taught from the Babylonian culture, that he wasn't just a victim of this new culture that was surrounding him, that there was a purpose, that there was a call. And so because he embraced God's reality for himself, this reality that Babylon was trying to force on him, it didn't stick. 
He won the battle for his identity, and that's why he was able to be an influencer. Then here's the second thing that caused Daniel to influence this entire empire that had just taken him hostage. Number two, Daniel lived in cultural and spiritual excellence. He lived in cultural and spiritual excellence. Look at this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. I want you to notice this. In spite of this brainwashing that was going on, in spite of all this cultural redefinition and narrative that was trying to be forced on him, Daniel still paid attention. He took notice. He studied and he worked hard. In the strand and hostile he, he, that he found himself exiled to, he, he made sure that he sought to be, he was excellent in all that he did. He didn't just pass his time. He just didn't just give, get by, but he did, made a determination that he was going to be excellent in everything that he did. And not only that, Daniel learned how to be able to speak to those who are higher up than he was. He, he learned how to speak to royalty. You'll see this. We read it um, in chapter 2. We'll see it later in chapter 4, where he has this way of being able to speak very respectfully in very difficult situations. He got this. There was something about him that allowed him to uh, a level of boldness in this intellectual and social ability to be able to speak to the culture. He invested. He didn't just pass by. And here's the thing that you need to know. Because if we're able, when, once you settle who you are, once you resolve who you are, and the fear of man is no longer overshadowing everything else, then that's when you'll be able to go into these contentious places with incredible power and without compromising. You'll actually be able to move into those different situations with incredible power and without compromising. And the primary place of influence that God will use you most is wherever your vocation takes you. That will be your primary place of influence that God will use you in. It's your vocation. It's your career where you'll have your most dominant influence, which means this. This is why in your vocation, in your career, be excellent. Oh, it got really quiet. How come? In your vocation, in your career, be excellent. Go above and beyond what's expected. Go above and beyond what everybody else is doing. In this culture where you've now been exiled to, in this culture that you're now the minority, be that creative minority. Be excellent. Study hard. Work hard. Be the first one in, the last one out. Work hard at what you do because it'll open doors for influence. Exactly what Daniel did. And here's the third thing that caused Daniel to influence this entire empire that had taken him hostage. Number three, Daniel derived his influence from God's presence. Daniel derived his influence from God's presence. Look at Daniel chapter 2 again, verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he, he and his friends not, may not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night of the, of the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. Now look at this. Because instead of running away and hiding, instead of trying to make excuses, instead of trying to find some sort of scapegoat, instead of doing all this, what does Daniel do? He runs 
to God. I don't know when the last time you were told that if you don't do something, your body is going to be ripped apart and your bones are going to be broken, your flesh is going to be torn off, that you're going to be killed. I don't know when the last time that happened for you. But I don't know that it gets any more desperate than that, right? But you may be finding situations where you feel desperate in your work situations and the environment that you're in. But I want you to notice that in that crisis, what Daniel does He doesn't find a scapegoat. He doesn't try to find an excuse, but he runs to God to find out what to do. But here's the thing. If you haven't settled this issue of the fear of man and this culture to which you've been exiled to, then the fear of man will cause you to try to come up with some sort of way to finagle yourself out of that difficult situation. Um, King, King, I'm not that wise of a guy. (laughs) You know, Alan's really wise, but I'm not so wise here. You know, I'm I'm kind of the new guy here on the block. And, you know, so these are the wise men. I'm not really the wise men. So you want to kill them. You don't want to kill me because I'm not that wise. If the fear of man is still in you, you'll try to find those excuses. You'll try to find a way to get out of that situation. That's what the fear of man always does. But when you value the presence of God, more than fearing man, instead of trying to find solutions just in your own thinking about the matter, you'll run to God first. You'll run to God to find out what God thinks about that situation. I think there's a very real truth that says, whatever you turn to when things fall apart is what you trust in the most. Let me say it again. Whatever, Whatever you turn to when things fall apart is what you actually trust in the most. And so when that deal goes south, what do you turn to? When you lose your job, what do you turn to? When that child that you've raised and worked so hard on is now on drugs, what do you turn to? When that divorce seems imminent, what do you turn to? When you get that negative diagnosis from the doctor, what do you turn to? When whoever becomes president becomes president on Tuesday, what do you turn to? What do you turn to? This is, when you look at Daniel, his dependence was on God and God's reality instead of that seemingly sensible reality of what was right in front of him. His dependence was on God. That's where his dependence, that's what he held on to. No matter what else was changing, no matter what else was pressuring on him, he held on to that dependence on God and God's reality. This is where his influence came from. And listen, folks, this is where your influence will come as well. If you'll just take time in your vocational work, set, set aside time in your vocational work just to be quiet before the Lord. If you'll set aside time in your vocational world, word, in your, in your vocational world to, to just read the different scriptural promises to yourself. If you'll actually spend time and ask God what he thinks about this situation, what he thinks about this project or that budget dilemma. If you'll take time to actually seek him, you'll begin to realize that your influence increases because you're accessing something that is greater than just what you know in and of yourself. Because here's the thing, folks, you have the greatest asset of anybody in the world. You have the Holy Spirit on your side. When everybody else is using conventional wisdom, you have access to the imagination of God. And that's what makes all the difference here. That's what Daniel did. Daniel was constantly bringing the imagination of God into the public sphere. This is where you and I have to engage. Because it's not so much just about your intellectual excellence and your, your upbringing, what you can bring to the table just in and of yourself, although be excellent at it. But as well, 
depend on the presence of God. You have access to the imagination of God in every situation that you face. And so here's one thing that you can do tomorrow that will change everything. If you just do this one thing tomorrow, it will change everything here. And that is if you create a space in your life to be in the presence of God, to actually hear what he wants to say about you and what he wants to say about the situation that you're facing. If you'll just do this one thing If you'll just set aside time to listen to God, to hear from God, it will radically change your day. Daniel had six fixed times a day where he got into the presence of God. I don't know how desperate we are yet. I don't know how obvious we are yet that culture has shifted directions, that we live in a hostile culture because of this. It's going in a different direction. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, the culture is heading in another direction. And so, folks, we have to wake up to realize if we just go with the flow, you're going to go further and further away from God. You have to be intentional about this. This This is what Daniel did, and this is how he was able to influence. Listen, folks, we're not just called to survive in this culture, just to get by somehow, hoping that heaven gets here quick. That's not what we're called to do. We're actually called to thrive in the midst of this. We're called to influence the culture in which we live, to bring the imagination of God into your workplace, into your sphere of influence. As I was praying about this here this week and, and just working through this here, I felt like God spoke to me on, on Thursday that he wanted to impart something to you for those of you who want to increase in influence. And I don't know if there's been anything going on in your own heart towards this. If I'm saying something that is God's already been dealing with you on, if your eyes, even in this series we've been talking about, or even on your own understanding that you're realizing that, you know, you're the odd man out in your workplace. You're the odd woman out in your workplace. I, I don't know where that is in terms of where you are, but I do know this, that God wants to impart something to you if you want to have greater influence. And so... If that's you, can you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I feel like I need greater influence in my work situation. Okay, I want to ask you just to stand up because I want to pray for you here. Those of you who are just saying, I, I, wanna, I, I feel like God wants to impart greater influence to me. I don't know what it is for you specifically, what it is that he's wanting to impart. But this, that was just so strong in my, my heart, especially Thursday when I was praying for you, that there's something that God wants to impart to you. For some of you, it may be that you feel stuck in this fear of man, where you've been allowing just fear to cripple you, and God wants to break that stronghold off of your life. For some of you, you've not really thought about influence, you know, just kind of chugging along, doing your thing, and God wants to impart a boldness inside of you. God wants to impart so that you can actually influence what's going on. He wants to give you his imagination for those situations that you're facing. When you're in that work situation, when the team's trying to figure out things, you're throwing around all these ideas, God wants to give you creative ideas that you would have never thought about before. And so if you would just stretch out your hands, and those of you around, and maybe you can just reach out and touch them or pray for them as well. And just, Father, I pray for every one of these men and women that are standing right now. Father, I thank you that you not only place kings and queens and presidents and and rulers of nations, but you also place men and women 
to be at the right place at the right time, to be working in that company, in that firm for now, for this season. And so, Father, I know that you've directed these men and women into these situations. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit, that by your presence, that, Father, you would just come and begin to impart into these men and women everything that they need to be the Daniels in their workplace, that they would be excellent in everything that they would do, that they would be good stewards of the things that you have given them. And maybe that's something that God's wrestling with you right now, that maybe for you, you've just been kind of just going along, and you, you, you know, you've just been kind of doing the average, but you haven't been excellent. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just convicting you right now that you can't just do that, that God's put you there for a purpose. And so you need to be excellent, go above and beyond. And so, Father, I pray for a, a new vision for the vocations that you place these men and women to be in. God, that you would give them new vision. God, that you would give them new ways of thinking about when they go to work tomorrow, or if they go to work tonight, that, Father, they would see it different, not just as a job, but, Father, a place where they can bring your presence into, that they can bring your imagination into that boardroom, into that discussion, into that project. That, Father, that we wouldn't just be people who are using just our intellectual abilities, and we're so thankful for that, God, but that you're is more that you want to give. And so, Father, I pray for that impartation to be able to come and bring the imagination of God into those situations. And, Lord, I pray for every man and woman who feels stuck in that fear of man, where they've been listening to all these other voices, and they've been allowing these voices to change the narrative of their life. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that that stronghold of the fear of man would come off of their minds, their emotions, their body, and their spirit. That boldness would arise inside of them. That, Father, they would not be so compelled. They would not be so um, entangled by these voices that are vying for their attention. But, God, that your voice would be greater than all these other voices. That, Father, that you would exchange this position of fear of man for the position of being in your presence. That that would exactly what would happen for these men and women. Lord, I pray for that impartation to break that cycle of fear and succumbing to these things, that that would be broken off these men and women. And Lord, I just right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, I release that anointing, that divine ability to be these Daniels, to be these God sins, these God plants, to be these influencers in every area of their vocation, wherever you take them in their vocation, Lord, that they would be influencers there. They wouldn't just be survivors, but these men and women, they would be influencers there. Lord, I pray for that boldness and that courage and that renewed vision for why they're doing what they're doing is to take hold of every man and every woman here. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Father, for how you use us. We're going to take communion here together and and just as we're ending this service, I, I, I just want to kind of give you some direction here. Um, we have communion stations 
up front on both sides and how you'll do that, you'll exit on your left and circle around in front of your section and take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and just take it back to your section and we'll start with the front row and move all the way, all the way back. Just exit to your left and circle to the right. But this is, I think this is a point again of surrender. You know, we're, we're saying, okay, God, I surrender. I surrender my life. I, I surrender my fear. I surrender the situation. I surrender this challenge, you know, to you here. And as you're doing that, it's a renewed commitment. Jesus, I, I'm deciding. I'm going to follow you here. I'm surrendering these things, and I'm going to follow you. Let's do this here together.